The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB Radio. I'm Rob Zimmerman. I'll be with you for the next 60 minutes. On the show tonight, we have former New York Knicks uh, center, Eddie Lee Wilkins. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk, on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you get your podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rob Zim, WGBB. So we are talking tonight to Eddie Lee Wilkins and former New York Knicks Center. And Knicks fans, right now, you've got to be happy. The fact of where the Knicks are coming into this season, the roster that they put together, we had there was about three players that had any significance on this team. And the fact that they are being competitive, the fact that they could go to the playoffs in the extended playoff format this year is a plus for the Knicks. Um, coming into this season, what, who mattered? Mitchell Robinson, uh, Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, and R.J. Barrett. And the fact that you got Emmanuel Quigley might be the steal of the draft is a bonus for the Knicks. Oh, we don't have him on yet. Not yet. So we'll continue talking New York Knicks basketball. The fact that the New York Knicks finally might have it together. The fact that the management of this team might finally have it together. The fact that the coaching staff that they put together with Tom Thibodeau leading this team, playing defense, playing in an offensive system, is something we have not seen in years. And the fact that, you know, everybody says, oh, it doesn't matter, the uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, the aura of this team, the uh, that they have something going. They're a young team, they're playing well, and they are building on something. This is something we haven't seen in the Knicks in about 20 years. Every game they are in, and the fact that they are in every game, yes, they do not shoot the ball well. They are not a good three-point shooting team, but they are playing defense. And playing defense in the NBA is going to keep you in every game. And that's what they are doing, led by Tom Thibodeau. So maybe finally the Knicks are on the right path. The Knicks are where the New Jersey Nets were three years ago. When the New Jersey Nets started breaking that team down, bringing in young players, starting with a base, starting with a core that they can build off of, that's when they started getting better. That's when they started making the playoffs and can make a play for the players that they have now. And that's what we're hoping for from the Knicks as they continue their rise. They're playing well. Oh, we have him. He's on the line now. Mr. Eddie Lee Wilkins. Eddie Lee Wilkins, welcome to WGBB Sports Talk Sunday night. How you doing? 
I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. No, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, it is February 14th. It is Valentine's Day 2021. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your romantic night to uh, join us tonight. Well, I'm happy to do it. I, You know, basketball is, is one of my fun loves, and, and um, I love it just like on any Valentine's Day. <laughs> so where are you calling? You're back in Georgia, correct? Correct. I'm, I'm originally from Cartersville, Georgia, and okay. I live in Smyrna, which is about you know, 30, 40 miles from there. All right. Well, I know the weather down there is a lot better than up here. We are dying here. It is cold. It is snowy. Uh, COVID, you know, issues. So I'm sure things are a lot better. The weather's a lot nicer down there in Georgia. Absolutely. Um, today was a little overcast, but it was about 55 degrees. So. Uh. I know it's a lot better here than it is there. I kill. I can, right now up here we'd kill for fifty-five degrees. <laughs> I got to tell you, yeah. I went. I actually went skiing today. It was frigid, great day, but uh, the uh, slopes, the conditions were amazing. But you know, you got to bear out the cold. But I want to give it. You know, people don't realize, and this is one thing. Um, you were a six-round pick at a Gardner Webb, which isn't exactly a hotbed of basketball down there. Um, and you made it to the Knicks. I mean, did you have any idea playing your senior year that you would get drafted and even getting drafted that you'd be a Nick? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, it was, um, I, to, to be honest, I put in a very lot, a lot of hard work to, you know, be a, be a good player. And I knew that I would get an opportunity. I didn't know where, but I knew that I wanted to continue playing. So I trained very hard, and I didn't know if I would get drafted, but I knew that I was going to try. And fortunately, I got with the right team. Um, you know, New York was a, coming from Cartersville, Georgia, and going to big New York and even going to Gardner Webb, which is a small school. Right. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was something special. Well, let me let me ask you. Sorry to interrupt, but what was the difference? I mean, you, there's got to be a difference playing in the gym at Gardner Webb and walking into the mecca of basketball, Madison Square Garden. Uh, let me tell you, uh, the, one of the most vivid memories I have of Madison Square Garden is. Uh, let me just prep you. Right. I was originally supposed to be cut, you know, and, and but we had some injuries. Mm-hmm. I think Truck Robinson was injured, All right. and so I knew I had the opportunity to play the first game. So imagine coming from Gardner Webb and playing in your first game in Madison Square Garden. I was, um, you know, the garden was packed. Right. Uh, it was it was just an amazing night. And then um, I think someone got in foul trouble. I think it was Pat Cummings got in foul trouble, and I got the opportunity to get in. Mm-hmm. And from there, I, you know, I started to play. It was things started. My shot was falling, and and I ended up scoring twenty four points and having ten wow. rebounds, and everybody in the garden screaming your name. And this is from the first your first time being in Madison Square Garden. So right, right. That is one of my biggest memories, you know, of 
being in New York. So your debut, rookie season, six-round draft pick, you come in and you have a double-double. Yes. Unbelievable. Now, going back to that 1984-85 team, I mean, you taking a look at that team that people don't realize. First of all, you have legendary coach Hubie Brown. Yes. You have on the bench one of his assistant coaches who you would go on to play for again. You have Rick Pitino as the assistant coach. Yes. And then on yes. top of it, you have legendary New Yorker Bernard King. Yes. And, you know, Bernard was a truly uh, great player. It was the right. year before Patrick came. And the guy just worked so hard. And he was just such a great player. I, I, I vividly remember the, the first time um, I saw him hit 60 points against New Jersey. I right. think it was around Christmas. It was awesome. I mean, he was, he was an awesome player. And I have a story behind Bernard as well as we talk more. All right. All right, because I know that year, that happened to be the year that he was averaging 32.9 before the injury he was averaging 32.9 points per game i mean that was the only time in his career that he how good of a scorer was he 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 was a he was just a great he had a quick release he had such a quick release that you couldn't block a shot right and you know he he had angles that you know, that you score from that normal people couldn't score from. And he was just, he was a very intense player. Uh, he played very hard. He practiced the way he played. And it showed when he, he got out there on the court because he gave it everything that he had when he was out there. What was, let me ask you something, because what was the dynamic? What was the relationship between Hubie Brown and Bernard King? I mean, for me, Looking at it from my point, I always thought it was good. You know, I thought it was, um, you know, I thought Hubie got the most out of Bernard. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, he challenged him, and Hubie was a very, very good coach, and he was, uh, he was always trying to make you better, and right. trying to make you think the game. So, I, from my standpoint. You know, it was a, it was a good relationship. Did he make you guys work? He made us work. He made us work. He he challenged us. He wanted us to be. I think Hubie gave me the opportunity to be a better basketball player because he was always challenging us. It was two guys on there. It was me, a six rounder, and Ken Bannister, mm-hmm. a seventh rounder, and. He always challenged us to be better players, be better um, students of the game, and uh, that's what I feel that gave me the opportunity to stay in the league for as long as I was able to stay in there. You know, but some of the younger people that might be listening to the show don't realize, and they only see the NBA draft right now, which is one or you know two rounds. I forgot what right. year it was. Sometime I think it, I believe it was in the late '80s where they went to drop it to maybe four rounds and then currently at number two. Just in your opinion, how many players do you think now never get that opportunity because they're not drafted in the first or second round? You have very limited 
amount of players that get signed as a free agent or uh, go to the D-League right now or go to Europe and then come back and play. Do you think that more players coming out of college, if there was a third, fourth, fifth round, might have that opportunity to show something to a coach that maybe they didn't see uh, – you know, in the draft camp, or maybe they were in the wrong situation in college, you know, maybe being that third or fourth guy instead of that one or, you know, number one or number two guy? I, I really believe that because I believe that there are a lot of guys that if they're in the right situation, they can be productive. Uh, in my situation, if, if I hadn't had that opportunity, I don't, I think I would have went overseas and I wouldn't have never played, uh, you know, it's possible I couldn't have played in the NBA. It's right. possible I could have come back. But I think when, you know, and I, I this, you know, I understand it was from the Players Association that it wanted to give guys the opportunity to choose where they wanted to go after they, um, you know, after the first couple of rounds. Because usually, generally, after the first couple of rounds, you don't make the team. Right. But there are always instances where a player gets to be seen and has an opportunity and I think you know I think that it was it was good for me uh, and it was good for a lot of guys and you know I think that um, that they should look into doing something to get more guys you know seen right out right out of college right I mean so many players are coming out you know the one and dines and you know, almost like a guy, look at Obi Toppin that was drafted by the Knicks. He's old. You know, the guy played four yeah. years, played at Dayton, and he's coming out, and he's got an NBA body. He's NBA ready to play. And he's almost an old-timer staying until his senior year. You know, now it's if you're not drafted in a sophomore or junior year, something. you know, they say something's wrong with you. Yeah. And... You know, I, I think that's unfair because people develop differently right. in, in their games. Some guys, it takes longer uh, to develop their bodies and develop their game. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely right. If you're, if you're not out of school by the sophomore year, people think that you have flaws. And I really think that, that um, you know, just people develop differently. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I happen to like the college game a lot better than the NBA game. I just think it's more of a team sport. It's more of what basketball is, not the individual game that it's be become. But those days of seeing guys go three years, four years, developing the rivalries. But not only that, developing their game, because I think there's a lot of guys coming out that might be the 15th, 16th pick, Oh, they, you know, and they're drafted on their potential they get into a bad situation or they don't develop as quickly and they get caught or they get traded and it almost what's going on kind of deters um you know their development you know you got to remember two of these kids are 18 19 20 years old they're not fully developed yet the games aren't fully developed and it's hurting them you know going forward and then these guys are out of the league in three four years yeah i I, I really believe that, you know, as you said, the staying in school helps the kids. And, and I think that's something that the league will have to look at. But also, you know, guys want that opportunity. And some guys work out 
But I think for the majority of them, like you said, when they're out, you know, they come in at 18, 19, and they don't, they're not in the right situation. Right. Then their career is basically, you know, overseas or in in some other, you know, minor league. So I, I definitely think that that kids need to get more, you know, reps in college, and they need to have the opportunity to play more and to develop. Can we get back to Bernard a little bit? Yes, yes. <laughs> I want to. I was. Um, I wanted to tell you the story sure. about. Go, go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, besides him being a great player, um, I was on a, um, the. Um, I had the same surgery as Bernard King. Oh wow! Okay, I had my surgery actually um, before him. Okay, and we had the same, the same type surgery. The ACL. And, and this was probably two years ago. I was at a, a memorial for uh, Richie Bucklew, who was at one time a Nick uh, scout who, right. who saw me. And, and um, unbeknownst to me, I found out that basically I was, um, they were testing this new surgery out on me before they gave it to Bernard. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fortunately, I was able to come back, and he was able to come back. But it was, uh, it was just interesting to know that they had tried the, the surgery that they did on him, on me. And, and I, to this day, I have had not had any problems out of that knee. So, you know, I want to thank uh, Dr. Norman Scott because he did a great job. And just the whole Nick organization, they were good to me because I got hurt on the, the after my rookie year. I got hurt that summer. Right, you That's did. You missed. You missed eighty five, eighty six. Yes, yes, and um, but the whole organization um, was was great. They helped me rehabilitate, even though I wasn't on the contract. And they basically took care of me for a year and gave me the opportunity to heal and get back. So I'm forever grateful for. You know, them giving me that opportunity to build my knee back up, right. and, and it was just a great situation. I mean, I remember because this is, I'm not going to date myself or age myself, but this was around the time that I started following the Knicks, you know, and mm-hmm. I remember the posters that we had up at the time. And, Bird, you know, Bird was in Boston. You know, Magic mm-hmm. Johnson was in L.A. You know, the Sixers had Dr. J., and for New York, it was, uh, you know, it was Bernard. You know, that was our guy, right. you know. And yep. um, I remember that night that he went down. I mean, how devastating was that to the team when he tore his ACL? Yeah, it was, it was, it was devastating. It was devastating. And it, it uh, put a damper on the season um, because – he was having a great season. Yeah, he was. And, well, he was leading the league in scoring, thirty-two point nine. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And he was. Um, you know, it it really took a lot because he had, he had had a lot of the burden of scoring. It really put a lot of pressure on a lot of other guys. Right. And you know, but the season the season turned when he got hurt. 
mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was definitely um, a big blow to the team. I mean, you take out 32 points a game, you know, a score like his, no matter who steps up, that's something. That, I mean, that's a hole that just can't be filled. Yes, yes. So, like you were saying, so, yeah, so this was your rookie season. You sat out 85-86 with a knee injury. You come back 86-87, and that's when Patrick Ewing was there. Yes. What were your first thoughts? I mean, first of all, just your career in general with the Knicks. You go from two of the greats. You go from Bernard King, you're out a year, and then you come back, and you're playing with Patrick Ewing. And Patrick, you you know, his second year, what was that like? I mean, did you see how good he was going to be right away? Absolutely. I, and, 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 and what I use my judgment on, and now, you know, looking back, it was, it was correct. Mm-hmm. Patrick was another person, and I played against Patrick in practice, so he went hard every practice. He went hard every practice. He didn't take, you know, take practices off. When we came in to work, when he came in to work, it was a battle. Mm -hmm. And I think that translated to his game because he, you know, as he started to uh, be in the league more, he he was just, he at one point, Mm -hmm. I think it was the 89 season, he was just unstoppable. Right. And he, but, but he put in the work and he was a great player. Uh, he was a great teammate, and he wanted to win. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people can say a lot of things, but Patrick really wanted to win. He was all about winning and helping his team in any way that he could. Now, you being the backup center, what was your job, mm-hmm. you know, in practice for him? I mean, it must have made you a better player, considering every night you're going to go out uh, facing 20-something other centers a night, you're not going to face, even when you're coming in, you're not facing Patrick Ewing. You know, you're not facing right. that kind of talent every night. So going in for you, how did that change your game or make you a better player? Well, what it, what it did was gave me the confidence that mm-hmm. when I came in as a backup, you know, I was always known as score. You know, I could come in and score me a couple of baskets. Right. But after playing against Patrick in practice, it was, you know, I, I've, I've always felt like that I had an advantage over anybody that was playing me because I knew that if I could get my shots off over Patrick, then it wasn't a lot of people that could stop me. Right. So it, it gave me a lot of confidence to come in and do my job and, and you know, just play very hard when I was out there. And let me ask you, what were you, so, you know, you saw, you were part of this development. You know, the seeds were kind of there, and you saw the Knicks start, you know, you were there in some of the bad years, and you saw them starting to take off. What was the difference there, you know, when you first come in, you had the 84-85 team, you know, uh, Bernard goes down, you finish 24-58, and fifth in the Atlantic Division, and then... Your last season, I believe, with the Knicks, you know, you guys are in the playoffs. I mean, what was that evolution like as a team, you know, seeing this happen? Um, I mean, I saw it coming together. Um, we, when, uh, I think Rick Patino came the 87, 88 season, and mm-hmm. we had pieces, we had 
we had good chemistry. Um, right. You had you had Charles Oakley, uh, Mark Jackson was there. Um, it was Johnny Newman. Mm-hmm. And you had Patrick in the middle. So guys started coming, and Gerald Wilkins as well. Right. So right. guys started coming. Guys started coming together and accepting their roles. And Rick was good about um, giving people the freedom to to play. He put us in a system that worked for us. I mean, we were scrappy, and we went. We I knew that we were going to be a playoff team when we started to to jail. So mm-hmm. going from the teams that that we had before, we never had any continuity. Uh, but we started to get that, and you could just feel it, right. you know, coming together. Right. So those those uh, three years that we made the playoffs, I mean, you could see that the team had evolved into guys that understanding what their roles were and what it took to be um, a playoff team. How much um, of that? I, was, I, I, I remember. What's that? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just had another no, question to finish up. I said it was um, when we played, um, when we played, I think it was Philadelphia, and we we swept them. Oh, the famous, the famous sweep. A, the famous sweep with the uh, broom yep. out on the court against Charles yep. Barkley. You guys took a yep. lot of heat for that. Yep. I, re- I remember that game. There was a lot of heat for that, and then you went down to the yep, Bulls in the next round. Yep, yep, we took a lot of heat for that, but but we were still we were still growing then, and it was it was not the best thing for us to do. It was an immature thing, but we were having fun. We felt like we were having fun, and and um, yes, we did. We played against Michael, and it was it was tough. Well, before we get to that, I got to ask you: Who was the catalyst with the broom? Whose idea was that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell on anybody. No. <laughs> because I don't. I don't. I think we've seen that once, and we haven't seen that again from anyone. I mean, it didn't exactly take off like the Giants' uh, Gatorade bucket there, but the uh, I do remember that night the sweeping of the floor. And you guys took a lot of heat. But I want to get to this. So how much, okay, so you're at this time, you've seen the team evolve. How much was it the players and how much of it was Rick Pitino? Because you had him in his, like we spoke about earlier, 84-85, he was an assistant coach, leaves the Knicks, goes to Providence, takes that team to the Final Four, and then the Knicks hire him as the head coach. So how much of it, you know, now you've played for Hubie Brown, now you're playing for Rick Pitino, and you had Pitino as an assistant coach. Did you have any inkling that he would be an NBA uh, coach? And not only an NBA coach, a Hall of Famer. Yes. I did because Rick was a student at the game, and he knew how to motivate people. And what we did was, when Hubie was there, we had an older team. Mm-hmm. When Rick was there, we had a much younger team. And it was guys that were hungry. Okay. I mean, you had guys that wanted to prove themselves. And he was, he was, as I said, he, 
he put us in position to be successful, and he gave guys the freedom to. They weren't robots, right? He gave, you know, he gave them the freedom to express their game, and and I think that's what helped us helped us to evolve into the team that we were. And we had, you know, it would, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun because we played hard. We played a lot of guys. And it was, um, it was, we were winning. So that made it, that made it, um, a better, a very good situation. I hear you. Uh, Eddie, we got to go to break. Can you stick around for a little more? How's that? Absolutely. Okay, great. We'll be right back with the Eddie Lee Wilkins on WGBB Sports Talk New York. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York. I'm Rob Zimmerman on Long Island's WGBB Radio. We are yeah, Sunday night. We are here with former New York Nick Eddie Lee Wilkins. Eddie, you still with us? Yes. Um, yes. All right, so we were talking about that team, the 1988-89 Knicks. Uh, you guys make the playoffs, the sweep, Rick Pitino, future Hall of Famer, your head coach, the sweeping incident, and then you face the Bulls. And there's a, I'm looking at this team right now, and this is really sowing the seeds for what is to become one of the legendary rivalries between the Knicks and the Bulls in the 90s. I mean, did you see that at this point, Michael Jordan just taking off, uh, the Bulls starting a challenge? First, he had the, the Celtics own the division. The Celtics own the East. Then came the Pistons, and then the Bulls and the Knicks rivalry. So that season, you lost in the second round, you lost 4-2. to two, But the, the, the seeds were being put there for one of the great rivalries in NBA history. It, it it was it was you know I think it was a, a combination of a lot of things. It was the um, relationship that Patrick had with Michael, mm-hmm. uh, and also Charles had with with Michael as well. Right. Um, you know he had been in Chicago, so I I think that when we played Chicago, it was a big game. It was it was already a big game, but it was a huge game because you had Michael trying to beat Patrick and Patrick trying to beat Michael. Right. And, you know, it, it was always a hard-fought game. Uh, it was it was always exciting. It was always tense. And, you know, um, unfortunately, Chicago was just, they were just the stronger. They wanted it more than we did. Right. And this also goes back, this is one of the things I used to love about college basketball and the transition to the pros. These guys played in college against each other. These guys played in the national championship game against each other. And not only that, so now you have these two rivalries, 
and now they're they're battling each other, you know, for the Eastern Conference Championship. Yeah. And I think, yeah. the, you know, the intensity was different. There, there is, there are all rivalries now in the NBA, but I just think back then, just you had this build up three to four years in college, and then you guys, you know, you come, you you're a high draft pick. The team builds and builds around those guys, and it just takes that, uh, you know, that rivalry to another level. Yes, and, and, and I think it goes back to what you said. We have kids coming in here, the one-and-done kids, and you don't really have that rivalry like you did back then. Um, and, and I think back then it was more, um, you know, when you made a team mm-hmm. back then, because it was only like maybe 24 teams, right. you really had to earn it. And, and you know, when, when these guys would play in college, and like you said, they were seasoned. Mm-hmm. So when they came into the NBA, it was like a rivalry in college. Right. And guys really wanted to win. And we, we were, um, when we played Chicago, it was a battle. Right. That's all I can say. It was definitely a battle. I mean, looking back at the team, I remember, you know, the Knicks draft Mark Jackson. And, you know, Mark St. John's guy, now starting point guard for the New York Knicks, and it was all about how's he going to get along with Patrick because these guys used to battle it out, you know, in the Big East. You know, can they get along? Yes, and, and you know, I think from – and they did get along. I think from day one, Mark came – he was he had a very mature attitude. Mm-hmm. He, came, he came with the winning attitude. And we, he was a real four general. Right. So that, that, that was a piece that we were missing. And he really helped, he really helped the team by his leadership. I mean, he was, he was the consummate point guard. Not a great shooter. But like you said, he was another coach on the floor. He was the leader on the floor. Now, when he comes in that rookie year, does he have to earn it or is just known that Mark's going to run the team? Well, I think I think from the start when Mark got there, he it wasn't that they was given to him. It's that when he was there, he performed. Mm-hmm. He made everybody around him better, and you just made a statement. He was the consummate floor general, so he he put people in the positions to be able to score, and he was a good setup man as well. But also off the court. He was a leader as well. Have you been following uh, New York basketball, what's going on currently up here? Because it's been a very, for us Knicks fans, it's been a uh, about a 20-something year drought here for anything to root for. Well, I know it's, it's frustrating. Um, you know, I, I love the Knicks organization. They've, um, you know, when we talk about some of the things that I do now, Right. Uh, I love the Knicks organization, and I know it's been a drought, but I think they're on an upswing. One of my good friends is a coach, uh, Kenny Payne, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very optimistic about the team now. I think they have some good pieces. They're playing very well right now. They're, you know, it's going to be some games that they, they, you know, don't play as well, but I think right. they're on the right track for, for once. Um, 
you know, in a long time. And I'm, I'm very happy with what's happening there. I, I definitely follow them. Um, and I like the makeup of the team so far. And I like the things that they're doing. And I think that once we get, you know, a few more pieces, that they can be a, a playoff team. I really believe that. Yeah, because I was, you know, earlier, before you got on, I was discussing the Knicks. And coming into the season, I wasn't too hopeful, uh, you know, after what I've seen the last few years. Um, you added Obi Toppin. You know, they there were rumors here of going out and getting uh, this free agent and that free agent. And to me, that was bothersome. You know, if they go out and get maybe not a top-tier guy because we weren't in the hunt for it or it wasn't going to happen, but, you know, a second- or third-tier, quote, superstar, you know, to play with these young guys. And to me, you've got to build that chemistry. You've got to build that core. You've got to build uh, a strong piece to, to build around. You know, I hate to, to say build, but that's where they are. Um, how much right now, I mean, Tom Thibodeau has come in and done a great job. Uh, they're playing defense. I think they're a very limited shooting team, but they are playing in a system. And how much right now is this coaching um, that they might finally have hired the right coach? Well, I, I think uh, Tom has a proven record. Mm-hmm. And as you say, he has a, a winning system. He, he, he's been a very good coach at different places. And I think that these guys, the guys that he has now, they they fit his system, and you know they're they're playing consistently. Right. They're not always winning consistently, but they're playing consistently, and and their focus is on defense. And if you play defense, you can win a lot of games. Right. Because you know a lot of teams don't focus on defense. I think Tibbs. You know, his focus is on the defensive end first. You got Julius Randle playing the best basketball that I've ever seen him play. Yeah, I mean, all-star. He's playing at an all-star pace right now. Absolutely. He's, 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 he's playing great. Um, Emmanuel, uh, Quigley, the rookie, yeah. comes in and he's, he's playing well. He's a pleasant surprise. And... You know, RJ is, is, is having a, a pretty, pretty consistent year. He's yeah. up and down a little bit, but he's playing pretty well. And, you know, uh, you, you have Eldrick. He's doing a good job. So they have some pieces. Um, they have some pieces there. And I think that, again, it, it's, it's a team. It's a young team. Right. But I think that they, they have, they have a potential be pretty good if they can get another player or two um i think that they can be in the thick of this thing speaking of quickly because i was just reading um they're comparing him and where they picked him in the draft to another steal for the knicks uh charlie ward and between you and me if we can get the career out of quigley that you got out of charlie ward i'd take it in a second i mean because that's been one of the missing pieces here in new york for a while is a consistent point guard yes Yes, he's and, and I followed quickly at, um, at uh, Kentucky uh, because I had one of the kids that 
that came from my my youth association played mm-hmm. with him. Ashton Hagen okay. played with him in Kentucky, so I, I was familiar with him, and I I would go up there and see him play uh, quite often. So I'm, I'm I know that uh, Quigley is a hard worker. Uh, he he had a very good season last year at Kentucky. I think he was the SEC Player of the Year, and I know he had the potential to 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 play as well as he did. But you know, you never know how it translates in the NBA game. But he's he's made the transformation, and he's he's playing some good basketball. And it's, 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 he's, I know he's been a surprise for you guys. Yeah, up in New York. Yes. I mean, he's one of those guys. You know, you look at him, and look, you take a team like Kentucky. I mean, they're struggling this year in uh, mm-hmm. in the SEC in college basketball, which has been crazy year. When you have Kentucky under 500, you have Duke under 500. But sometimes, like we said, that you get a guy and he goes to another program and he's their top player. You know, so really have yeah. to look at a team like Kentucky where, you know, you got three to four new starters every year, high school, you know, All Americans coming in, McDonald's All Americans coming in. And maybe he got lost in the shuffle, you know, in that yeah. program. Yes, and 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 that 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 happens mm-hmm. when you're when you're at Kentucky, but I I just think that um he and uh, Maxi Maxi is going to be a good player too. He's at Philadelphia, but I I watched them, and you're right. They have a lot of players in there, and they do get lost in the shuffle, but. When you look over the NBA rosters, yeah. Kentucky probably has the most players of any school. Oh yeah, you know they they have a lot of players, so they produce a lot of players, and and you know I I think that I think that um, he's going to be a good one. I really believe that he'll be a good one. He'll be a good fit for New York, and he'll have many years. And, and like you said, if he has had the career that Charlie Ward, and it's a great pick. And now, uh, if you don't mind, can we talk about the team in the other borough, the Nets? Yes. Very interesting. Yes. Very interesting team right now. I mean, I come in, you know, you had Durant, you had Irving, you're waiting, and then you got the team for Harden. And yeah. around here, everybody's like, how is everybody going to get along? How are they going to get together? Are they going to play together? First of all, I did not have – they want to play together. So I don't have an issue with Durant, Harden, and Irving, them getting along or them sharing the ball because it's going to happen. But you being a role player on an NBA team, and they just gutted their team, their role players, then they trade away their best rebounder. They trade away their best defender. They trade away their backup point guard. What can we expect from this team? Well, what I see is, you know, I like what James Harden has done. He's basically come in and he's, you know, passing the ball well. This team scores a lot of points. Yeah. The problem with New Jersey, as you said, they don't have the – the lunch pail guys that come right. in and do the dirty work. And that's what they're going to have to address before the trade somehow to get a shot blocker. Uh, I think they were talking about getting McGee possibly. Mm-hmm. 
but they need a shot blocker and they need help on their defense. So I think those are the things that are missing from them that are that will make them a championship team because they have the big three. Right. But you can see you can score 145, but the other team is scoring as well. So they'll score 146 or 147 and you lose. I mean, between so, you and me, I'm, I, just, I'm just waiting for them to roll out the red, white, and blue ADA ball with this team the way they're playing. <laughs> you know, defense, defense is taking, you know, a back seat there. I mean, come on. But it's, yeah. you know what I mean? I, and I look at the Nets, where they were and what they were building, and, you know, that it's been escaping me all night, but the word is culture, you know, yeah. and, and that plays such a big no matter what sport it is, basketball, football, baseball, you need that culture. And it just seemed yeah. the Nets were, were were finally doing it the right way. You know, they got hamstrung from the whole Kevin Garnett, you know, that whole trade. And that's one thing in the NBA. When you make these big trades and you hamstring and you handcuff yourself with this salary cap, it's tough to get out of. So they finally broke down the team, and they seem to be doing it the right way. And then, you know, hey, look, the culture is good here. We have a good head coach, which is no longer with the team. And build, build, build. We bring in Durant. We bring in Irving. And then just to gut it for Harden, you know, to me it was a desperate move. Just something wasn't. And this was when Kyrie went AWOL. And it just seemed like desperation. And I'm watching this team. And I know the Eastern Conference is bad. I mean, if they're not going to a championship this year, not win, even make it out of the Eastern Conference Finals, this is a bust. Yes. And 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 I again, I say that they need to address the defensive presence. They need somebody with a defensive presence to offset, you know, the guys that you know not as strong on defense. And you got you got three guys that can score. But how much effort are they going to put into the defensive end? And I think that I think that they they see that if we see that. And but again, it goes back to what you said: the culture. You, they did have some good pieces. Levert, I thought was a fantastic. Yeah. Coming off the bench, uh, I, I I loved watching him play. And you know, I think that they I think that they took a chance. They took a chance, and it's either—it's no way they cannot win at all. It's, right. it's either win or bust. And I—I I, I believe they're going to make some more moves. They, well, they have to make some more moves. Yeah, because as of now, I can't see them. You know, you have two guards and Durant. I can't see them beating LeBron and Anthony Davis with nobody in the middle. Because those guys ain't playing defense, and even Kevin Durant, I mean, just physically, he cannot match up on a defense on the defensive end with uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron. He's just not going to stop. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and 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 that's that's going to be that's going to be their Achilles heel for for them. But at the same time, you have three of the most prolific scores in basketball right now. And if they if they find 
the couple of pieces that can help them, then they definitely have a shot. And, and they have to create, they're going to have to recreate a culture. As you said, we go back to the culture that scores a lot but has an emphasis on playing defense. And it's got to come from the big three as well. Right. they got to put an effort in, too. And because once they, they hear somebody to, they need a stopper. Yeah, because if they buy in, everybody will buy in. But yes. you still, but even even with that, you still need you still need the players to be able to do the job. You know, it's yes. and and that's uh, I feel where they're lacking. So let me ask you something right now. What do you got going on in Georgia? I understand you run a camp, a youth camp, down there that you started uh, after you retired. Yes, I I have been doing this for probably 30, 32 years. Wow. And I have a youth association. I started in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to give back, and and then I got um, I got involved in, in just helping the youth, and it, it expanded. And I, I have over, you know, a thousand kids in my program. And wow. we just don't do basketball. We, we don't, you know, it hasn't just been basketball. We have... Um, conflict resolution. We have mm-hmm. uh, reading programs. Um, we have science programs, and we've been able to help a lot of kids. And over the, over the period, and we've had we've had um, three guys to go back to go to. We had to go pro. Wow. Actually, four. We had Big Beasley. Okay. Who played with the Falcons? Ronnie right. Brown, who played at Miami. Andre Suellen, who played at Detroit. And now we had, you know, Ashton, mm-hmm. um, who came from Kentucky. So we've had we've had over sixty five guys to go to college. Wow. And it's just been it's been um, it's been a a great. Um, Opportunity for me to give back because I was given so much, so many opportunities from playing with the Knicks and being in the NBA, and mm-hmm. and it was able to translate into, you know, being able to run a youth association and you know get the city involved, and it, it's just been a great experience. And and I also want to say that you know doing this whole journey. I've always had their support of the Knicks. They always wow. um, give, you know, give the kids shirts, hats. I mean, it's it's just been a great thing, and they look forward to it every year. So it, it's been a great experience. Um, I've helped a lot of people, and, you know, that's that's what I want my legacy to be. Uh, not, not necessarily that I played in the NBA, but that I was able to give back and maybe to to help change people's lives and and uh that that's one of the things that i'm most thankful for that's amazing that's amazing now are you finding the kids or are they finding you or somebody's interested or how did how do they find you the the kids usually come from from my hometown area okay and and so you know i have other programs um AAU programs, but these kids, these are the kids from my hometown, and we, 
you know, we just give them the opportunity. We've had everybody to come in. I have a lot of professionals. I've had Patrick there. I've had wow. John Starks there. I've had Oakley there. I've had Doc Rivers. I mean, mm-hmm. you can just, all guys, a lot of guys have just taken the time to come in and speak to the guys. I've had doctors, lawyers, because, you know, I like for them to see the stars, but in the real world, we know that it's one in a million that you can play in the NBA. Right. But, you know, they, I, I just try to teach them to be good fathers, mothers, sons, you know, students, just good people and give back to the community. And a lot of them are doing that. Right, right, and right. That, that's what I wanted to accomplish. I mean, I think that's one great thing about the Nick organization. It seems like once you're Nick, always a Nick. And, you know, you know that you can always call on one of the old guys to come back and, you know, have your back and support you, you know, with your youth programs. And the garden will always be there for you, you know, the management and yes. the ownership. Yes. Yes. They, 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 they've been great. Like I said, I, I uh, have no complaints. Uh, everything I've always needed. You know, when it involves the youth, they've done it. Uh, we we take them to games when they come to Atlanta. And right. So it's, it, it, it's it's a great organization. Um, I really wish that we were winning more, and I I think that I think that that'll come. I know for y'all is I know y'all been waiting a long time, but. I, I really believe that they're going to turn the corner now. I'm very optimistic that they're turning the corner now, and they have some some good pieces in there, and they right. have some good people in there. So, how hopefully, often? Hopefully, we can change. How often do you uh, still get up to New York? I I get up to New York probably once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I haven't done a lot of traveling since. You know, of this COVID thing right. uh, that kind of, you know, just kept me close to home. And, it, you know, I, I, and I know it was very hard on you guys up there in New yeah. York. And we were we were down here praying for you guys because, but, but then it, it's everywhere. So uh, we just have to stay vigilant and, you know, hopefully this thing will break and, you know, we'll be have some normality here soon. Well, things up here are starting to get a little better. The governor has announced you can now have 10% in uh, sporting events, which uh, in the gardens about 2,000 people. Um, not exactly, you know, the usual sellouts that the Knicks are going to get. You know, as uh, Marv Albert used to say, the garden is rocking. I don't think we're going to see that for quite a while. But uh, it would be nice to have some uh, fan support, you know, to hear some real fans for a change. I know it. I mean, that's that's a big part of the NBA, and, and and you know. But I think the guys have done a good job of focusing, knowing that right. you don't have the, the the players in the stands, but you have all the players watching you on TV. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of fans, so you know. I, I'm, I'm sure it's an adjustment because you get used to the roar of the crowd. But I think they've done a good job so far of you know, making it work and just keeping people safe. That's, that's the most important thing. All right, before we finish, now that we're on this, just a quick, you know, give me a quick, how much of that has really affected the players not having, you know, really that home court advantage with the fans there and how much, uh, you know, you hit a shot, 
a three-pointer, a dunk, how much that affects the team, you know, the momentum of the game? Well, I, you know, I think for the younger teams, it affects them more because they are more into, you know, the energy of the, of the fans. But I think for the more um, mature teams and the veteran teams, mm-hmm. it, 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 it helps them so it's, it's even. When you play away or you play home, it's the same. The only difference is when you're at home, you have the conference of the the um, you know the conference of coming from home to the arena, and you don't have to travel. Right. But I think I think that you know it, it, it's really to the teams that that are veterans. You have veterans. You have to get up. You have to know that it's it's important that. Uh, Eddie, thank you very much for joining us tonight on WGBB Sports Talk. I appreciate it. Uh, Great interview tonight. I want to thank Brian Graves on the other side of the glass. Everybody have a good night and join us every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on WGBB Sports Talk New York. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.